So as I speak here the next while and share some reflections on remembering and forgetting, it's really, really important that I continue to stay grounded in my connection to you and you stay with your connection to each other. The more connected you are, the easier it's going to be for the person next to you to stay connected to all of us. We all support and help each other by staying grounded in our community in this prayer, this extended prayer today of being with each other as veterans, as family members of veterans, and as the public. So in 1969, I graduated from high school. I was what they called a troubled youth. I was not doing well, couldn't hold a job, was in trouble with the police and in trouble at home. And I didn't know what to do. And my buddy Porky came home on leave from the Marine Corps. And he looked so nice in his uniform. He was sharp walking down the street and I was not so sharp, I wasn't doing so well. And he said to me one day, he said, Doherty, you should join the Marines. You wouldn't believe how much the girls in California like a guy in uniform. <laughs> so I joined the Marines. <laughs> and he was lying. <laughs> the girls in California were not interested in one more guy in uniform, but that's another story. But what made it possible, of course, at that moment to join was I was still deeply, deeply involved in the American dream. I was raised, like a lot of you of a certain age, that we did no wrong, that we had moral certainty, that we were above reproach. And the movies told us, the stories told us. So how could I go wrong by joining the Marine Corps and volunteering to go to Vietnam? There was nothing patriotic in me at that moment. There was no calling other than running away and being part of what was right. The day I got to Vietnam, I knew it was wrong. The day I got there, I could see this was not what they showed in the movies. This was not it. Back home, this is 1971, back home, the anti-war protests are going on, everybody's mad. We over there know all that, we're going, what are we doing here? And the people there walking through the villages, the war had been going on for several years and a lot of the villages we went into, the people had been occupied by their side, our side, the North Vietnamese army and us. Most of these people were walking around in what I now know to be a traumatic stupor. They just wanted to grow some food and feed and raise their children. Some of those people liked us because they were making money off us, selling us stuff. And some of those people hated us and wanted us to kill us. And it was so confusing as a 19-year-old white suburban boy. I was, the dream was shattering quickly. One night, a few weeks after I was in Vietnam, I was out on what they call a listening post. And so you go out in front of your lines, 500,000 yards, and you listen for the enemy to come to warn the troops back behind the line. And the rumor was this night that the enemy was coming and a lot of the enemy. 
and 10, 11 o'clock at night, we heard movement coming up the hill toward us. And it was pretty clear to us that we were going to die. And what was so upsetting to me, not even that I was going to die, but what was upsetting to me is I knew the people at home weren't thinking about me. I knew the vast majority of the American public had turned on the news at five, had a drink, and turned it off. I know people weren't interested. I know a lot of people were mad, but I was going to die over in this field in Vietnam, and nobody was thinking about me or remembering me. Oh, did that shatter me. That shattered the dream. Whatever was remnant I had at that moment was gone. There was nothing heroic about what I was doing. So a couple months after that, we're now out in the mountains. And we had been dropped by helicopter way, way out in the mountains looking for a battalion of NVA. That's the North Vietnamese Army. These guys are really bad dudes. They felt like we were in their backyard and we were the invading horde doing brutal acts. And they were fierce. And we got dropped off, and fortunately, they had just left. They had, been, they had built a village under the canopy of the jungle where they had stayed for a couple months during the monsoons, and they had just left. And fortunately, they didn't send us chasing them. We had to dismantle the village. So, and it was incredible what they had built. My God, was it incredible. They had structures and buildings and caves and tunnels, and so we were taking all that down. And they had a dump. And in this dump, a dump tells you so much about the people who live there. So we went through the dump to try and figure out how many had lived there and what they had done. And this one day, we're in the dump. And one of my friends grabbed something. And he said a couple words that I won't repeat. And what he had picked up is a cardboard box, and it's the old kind. Some of you will remember the wax that used to, they used to put on some cardboard box that made it a little more able to, to survive in the environment. So this box was dirty and crushed, and on one side of it was Vietnamese lettering. And on the other side of it, <clears throat> when he turned it over in English, This food donated to the people of North Vietnam by the students at Berkeley College, Berkeley, California. I cannot tell you what a, what a, what a pierce in the heart it was for all of us. We knew, we knew the war stunk. We knew their people were back home were against the war, especially the students. But to feel like the students back at a college campus had paid money and food had got to North Vietnam, came from north to the south, and the guys who we were terrified of and wanted to kill us were being fed by the students at Berkeley just shattered us. That night, as we, the sun was setting, we're smoking a cigarette, we're about ready to crawl into our little foxholes on the perimeter of our place. We all shared different fantasies of what we would do to those students. And the University of Minnesota was where my fantasy went. 
protests that had been going on for some time over there, and I took these guys into the fantasy of what I would do with myself and them with my rifle and hand grenades. And I can see in reflection that we were trying to find certainty. We were trying to come back and be strong. We're trying to come back and find we're doing the right thing and those students are wrong and here's what we do to those students because what we're doing is right. I don't think it worked for any of us. So I came home and I ran into the protesters, especially at college, North Hennepin Community College. Leroy and I would go to school every day and we'd smoke as much pot in the parking lot as we could because we knew what we were going to run into. And sometimes we'd go to the student commons and sit and a lot of times we were left alone and sometimes we weren't. And we were accused of things and we, I had to defend being in a war that I didn't believe in, it was just, tore me up. So, life continues. I go on to become a psychologist. I get married and have kids and have a private practice. And then the first Gulf War comes along. And I and most veterans and most of the nation had tried to walk away from Vietnam because we quit that war. We quit. And as a veteran, I knew tens of thousands of Vietnamese were killed because we left them, our allies. I knew so much bad happened and we quit. And the shame we had as a nation, most of us know that. And the shame a lot of anti-war activists felt about how they treated us returning veterans. We all dissociated. We all stopped thinking about it, stopped remembering it because it was unbearable. 1991, the first Gulf War. The day the war started, I started a three-month bout of post-traumatic stress disorder that was a nightmare. During the daytime when the sun was up, I could work, go to be with my kids, go to activities, work, go to my own therapy a lot. But when the sun set, I couldn't stop the memories from coming. The war started and a week or two after the war started, there was a bunch of friends of mine were anti-war activists, which I was. I had few years after the war, I got into social activism and I was very much against war. So I went to this anti-war rally down, it was in Dinkytown at a theater that used to be down there, I don't think it's there anymore. But the place is packed and everybody's upset and I think it was called Poets Against the War. A bunch of friends of mine were poets and I am sitting in this seat just hanging on for dear life. And one of my friends gets up on to start the protest rally. And he said, all right, everybody, we hate, we, we're against the war, but we support the troops. We're against the war, but we support the troops. And everybody got on their feet and they joined in the chant. And we all know what they were trying to do. We all know they were trying to correct the wrong that protesters had done. 
during the Vietnam War. But I also knew that they were looking for moral rightness. They were looking for a place to be innocent of harm. They were trying to say, we are not doing anything to harm the troops. We're just standing up and saying we're against the war. But as we all know, now there is no place of innocence in a country at war. It is our government, whether we voted them in or not, it's our taxes. We're all part of it. There is no escape, which is why most of us dissociate. We can't bear that. We don't know what to do with that. So I sat there as my friends are chanting the chant, and I am weeping. And I know I can't be any place else but sitting in that auditorium. I know I have to say no to this war. And as I sat there, I knew there were Marines in Kuwait who wanted to walk into the building I was in at the University of Minnesota. They wanted to do to me and us what I wanted to do to people like me 20 years earlier. And I couldn't be anyplace else. So let's stop for a minute and to go back into our bodies and be aware of if there's something being stirred up for you, be aware, don't, we don't want to deny anything, but we want to stay mostly focused on the connection. By being connected, we can bear the unbearable. By being alone, we cannot. We're going to get defensive or angry or mad, or we're going to shut down and feel hopeless and shameful. We all want to stay in that center section. So I really want you to find in your body that place that was feeling the connection of this wonderful group of people weaving a tapestry of connection today to help us bear the unbearable. And really keep coming back to it. Keep it in the back of your mind or the front of your mind. So 10 years later, it's 2001, we have 9-11. We invade Afghanistan and we invade Iraq two years later. And all of us knew the lies that our government used at that time to invade Iraq. The world knew it, and we did it. So now I wasn't in such a heavy bout of PTSD. Now I was much more angry, and down at the bridge on Marshall Avenue, as some of you were, I know. And it was, an arousing time. I spent a lot of time up here in the top section being mad about war. And thank God I had a place to go and protest. So at the time, my daughter's 13 years old. And my daughter was just forming her identity as a social activist and anti-war activist. So she was always ready to go to a protest. <laughs> Let's go, Dad. When, when's the next one, Dad? What are our signs going to say? So I would make up the signs and 
we would go down to the bridge and she always liked to be one of the first ones with a sign to greet the cars coming up the bridge, waving and pointing and she is just there. And I would walk up and down and after an hour or so, hour and a half, we would meet and she would always come up to me and say, Dad, Dad, 17 of them today, 17. And I knew what she's referring to. She was referring to how many guys, almost always guy, flipped her off. She felt successful. The more guys that flipped her off, <laughs> she knew she was getting to them. We're getting to them, Dad. They're... And she would say, oh, Dad, just seven of them today. Only seven guys flipped me off. <laughs> so here's my daughter. I didn't want to sort of tell her that wasn't necessarily what we were here for, to provoke <laughs> violence. <in> the... <laughs> but she was there and with the goodness of her heart and very much active and feeling very, very clear of what was wrong with war. But then something very, very sad and started to happen, and it happened very slowly, is that soccer practice got in the way. My daughter started to say, okay, Dad, I don't think I, I think I'm going to go hang out with the girls at the mall today. And I began to find more and more reasons to not go. I began to get wore down. What, what battle is going on right now? Who's being killed? How many of theirs and how many of ours? And it wore me down to the place that I was dissociating. I wasn't thinking about the war anymore. And it wasn't until somebody on the radio would say, three Marines were killed today in Afghanistan that it would jar me out of my stupor. And I knew that there was, it would reminded me that these men and women were over there putting their life on the line and I wasn't remembering them. I wasn't thinking about them. And I could sit there and say, my God, the most, one of the worst nights of my life was knowing that I wasn't remembered in war. And I was forgetting all the time. Most of us do. And it's because we don't know how to bear that overwhelming, unbearable reality of the brutality of war that we are in. Because we haven't known how to come together. We haven't known it's not following what's going on in the war. It's coming together and looking at each other and holding each other and letting us weep and not rage against the government, but rage against war and coming back into that center section through connection. The place where we can have coherent thoughts and feelings and actions that are only possible through connection. We haven't known that we, to a collective trauma, there has to be a collective response. And we are learning that. We are doing that today with you finding in your body, holding that place of connection, is weaving together a larger piece of fabric for our community as Unitarian Universalists to bear the unbearable 
we will better be able to face the political realities, racial injustice, by right now you feeling the connection in you to those around you. So the last story I have to share with you was a few years ago on Memorial Day. A friend of mine called me just spontaneously and my plans had fallen through and he and his wife were alone and they invited me over for a barbecue. And my friend, he and his sister were raised by parents who were people that worked like at a Catholic worker, Dorothy Day kind of stuff. Very politically astute socially active, socially just people. And, and the goodness in his heart is undeniable and his love, his love of me is undeniable. And I went over there, we sat down and, and had a glass of wine and had a little food and they asked me how I was and I decided to tell the truth about what it was like for me on Memorial Day. I had never told anybody outside of my immediate family, my former wife and kids. So I told them, I told them how lonely it was. I told them what it was like to be alive knowing my friends are dead. What it's like to know that the public is forgetting what Memorial Day is even about and that they not only have forgotten the fallen, but they have forgotten us. He was so present as his wife was. Listened well tears in his eyes and as I left that day he embraced me and just looked at me and said I will not forget and he's never mentioned it again and what I understand now happened to him is my friend was trying to be there for me but he wasn't there with me He wasn't with his own trauma of war. He didn't know that he, to be in that place of being connected with me, he would have to run into himself. He would have to run into himself. So again, his, I don't, his love of me is undeniable. His intention is absolutely clear. But he couldn't do it because he was trying to be there for me and he wasn't with himself. So I think on a day like today, on Memorial Day, what this veteran wants, and it's not true for every veteran, this weekend what I would love is for people, the people who know me dearly and are close to me, would, if they came up to me and said, I'm thinking about you. I'm remembering that you served. Just that much would be so incredible which would tell me they're not forgetting the men and women who have fallen, that they were remembering me. But what would be even more powerful and would change me and them, if they could walk up to me and say, I'm remembering you today as I reflect on what war has done to me. That would be being with me. And if you and I can do that, if you and I can remember what war has done to us, 
but focus on the connection with each other. We are going to change how we respond to the madness of war in this community. And we know what changes here changes the world. So I want you, to, we're going to move into a little, little reflection here, a little quiet. I want you to feel in your body, again, that place of connection. I want you to feel the 200 kindred spirits around you, holding each other. And as you go home today and go to your picnics and work in your gardens and play with your children, to focus mostly on the connection that you have here right now and the connection you have throughout your day today and tomorrow. The more you focus on the connection, the more it changes the wiring in your body and the wiring of the connection between all of us. You don't want to deny anything. You don't want to deny any feelings that come up. If something comes up today, let yourself move through it. Let yourself be held. Let yourself call somebody. And then come back to connection. I have a wisdom that this culture needs as a veteran. The families of veterans have a wisdom of their experience of sending us off the war and welcoming us back and living with us. And you who have not served or have not had a family member, you have a wisdom that we need to know how it is you dissociate, how is it that you have or haven't coped with war. If we can all do this together, the wisdom we carry as a community can change how we respond to the madness of war. And it's only possible by you finding that place in your body of feeling the connection and the blessing and the love of the good people around you. Together, in love, we can change it all.